0: That vest sure had me fooled. a minute I thought you was getting to be a lady. It's going to be a pleasure to give you a lesson in marksmanship. You couldn't give me a lesson in long-distance spitting. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I can shoot up cartridge with a single cartridge. I can get a sparrow with a bow and arrow. I can live on bread and cheese. And only on that, yeah. so can a rat. Any note you can reach, I can go higher. I can sing anything higher than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can Yes, I can. No, you can Yes, I can no, Throughout my Christian life, I've noticed over and over and over that Christians do not realize that there's a real devil coming against them in a real way. In the book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Thomas Brooks in the 1600s brings to light some things that Christians need to know. Satan has a means and a method about him. He's not an idiot, he's not stupid, he is cunning, he is charming and he knows exactly how to get to you. When it comes to how he will lure you or tempt you, he knows the bait that you like and he has different devices that we see throughout scripture tonight. You will find out that the way the world is set up, and the way that Hollywood and that corporate society has made things seem, is actually leading you to fall into Satan's trap. Tonight, you will realize that you have been given to this device of Satan for so long that it has become so normal to you that you haven't even realized it's from hell itself. You're listening to the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast. With Christmas happening yesterday, this quote seems to be very necessary at this time and moment in our nation's history. This quote comes from the Prince of Preachers Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he had to say about Christmas Many would not consider that they had kept Christmas in a proper manner if they did not verge on gluttony and drunkenness. Many would not consider They had kept Christmas in a proper manner if they did not verge on gluttony and drunkenness. See, Christian, what a great quote from this preacher that you realize that Christmas for many or Christmas to almost everyone is only about mammon, gluttony, drunkenness, and pleasures of the flesh. It really has nothing to do with Christ. Maybe that is something that we need to examine in our own lives when it comes to the area of Christmas. You're listening To the BPS podcast. Who do they think they are, the Beatles? All right, quit docking. Warm up. Dodd. Coach. Shut him up. Hard. I ought to I swear to God, I ought I didn't hear it. All right, fellas, coming through. Swear to God. Just us take a look at that, son. <sighs> now, he broke a bone in the wrist. We won't be throwing any more this season. Uh, you got one minute, coach. Take the other time out, coach. Ronnie back! Coach, best going back in, right? Not a quarterback. I can't make that pitch, coach. Yes, you can. When I was 15 years old, I lost my mother and my father in the same month, Ronnie. Same month. Twelve brothers and sisters. I was the youngest one, but they were all looking up to me. Now, I wasn't ready yet either, but they needed me. Your team needs you tonight. You're the colonel. You're going to command your troops tonight. You understand? Twins right. 48-0 real. Let's go. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a football injury before, you whips. Let's go. Show some life in those legs. I got it. It's going to be all right. But you released this time. Louis, let him through, all right? What? Just let him through. Trust me. You had 12 brothers and sisters? Eight. Yeah, 12 sounds better. If you aren't familiar with what you just listened to, you listened to a clip from the movie Remember the Titans. That is probably my favorite movie of all time. The football team that starts out segregated between whites and blacks, then becomes one team with a black head coach. and They fight adversity, racism, and all kinds of difficulties, and all of a sudden they become a team. They play together, they win together, they love together, and racism has ended. And let me tell you, when it comes to this area of racism, if you are a Christian, hear me clearly, and you are racist, you are not right with God. And they fight racism, and throughout the movie, you'll find that they are comparing themselves. Well, I'm not black, or I'm not white, and I'm not this, and I'm not that, and they fight back and forth for a majority of the movie between race and... Color, creed, nationality, they fight back and forth for quite some time. And you know, it seems that Christians are being fallen into this trap that Satan is giving you. You see, there's a trap, if you weren't aware, that Satan has laid in this area of comparison. You see, device number 10 in the book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, is this. Satan will try to lure you as a device into sin by working you to be frequent in comparing yourself and your ways with those who are reputed or reported to be worse than yourself. In other words, you compare your sins to someone else's and you say, I'm not really that bad. Or it's really not a big deal when you think about what they're doing. You see, Satan will have you comparing sin to put yourself in such a state that makes you feel better about your actions. By this device, the devil drew the proud Pharisee to bless himself in a cursed condition. He says this in Luke 18, 11, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Satan says, Why? You are now and then a little lustful, but other people do daily defile and pollute themselves by actual immorality and filthiness. You deceive and take advantage of your neighbors in things that are but as toys and trifles, but other people deceive and advantage of others in things of the greatest concernment, even their ruin and undoing. You only sit and chat and sip with the drunkard, but other people sit and drink and are drunk with them. You're only a little proud in heart and habit, in looks and works. You see, Satan wants you to have the idea that you are small in weight when you compare yourself to other sinners. Christian, this has been the problem in this day and age. There's two folds to this coin. The one coin is... That we have people who have the idea that they are not that bad because they compare themselves to others. And those individuals tend to believe that they can get to heaven by their good works when they think that their good works outweigh their bad works and that their good works are better than others. You must understand the other side of that coin is that some people will pull out the phrase, Do not judge me. Let me remind you in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7 as Jesus is preaching you need to realize that Christ is saying, not do, do not judge. He, he's not saying that. He's saying if you're going to judge, you need to do so righteously, justly, and perfectly. You need to remove the mote out of thine own eye before you can remove the one in your brother's eye. You must clean yourself up, so to speak, before you're able to judge someone else. And Satan has this idea of the coin that you can compare yourselves to others. Some people say, do not judge me. You can't judge me because I, uh, everyone's a sinner or I am only halfway bad or I am only halfway good or so to speak that people always pull that out. Listen, I've realized that sinners are the biggest ones who pull out the phrase, do not judge me. A righteous person would be just fine if someone said, that they were going to judge you because you would be living righteously. So that judgment would be righteous judgment. The first remedy against this device of Satan is to solemnly consider that there is not a greater nor a clearer argument to prove a man a hypocrite than to be quick-sighted abroad and blind at home than to see a moat in another man's eye, and not a beam in in his own eye, than to use spectacles to behold other men's sins, rather than to use looking-glasses to behold his own, rather to be always holding his finger upon other men's sores, and to be amplifying and aggravating other men's sins, and making his own seem very small. History speaks of a kind of witch, that, stirring abroad, would put on their eyes, but returning home they boxed them up again and so do hypocrites. See, we will focus on the outside. We'll look at everyone else and say, I'm not like them. I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm not acting how they're acting. I'm not really that bad compared to them. But lo and behold, when it comes to their own selves, they're blind as a bat. They cannot see whatsoever their heart's condition. And let me remind you that you must look at your own heart and your own condition long before you look at someone else to See, We have many people who are condemning others for their sinful actions, but they will not condemn themselves. I believe there's a quote that says this, and I'm paraphrasing, that a Pharisee is hard on others, but a godly individual is hard on himself. And Christian, you need to be hard on others only if you're hard on yourself first. I found in my life, my go-to would be to be hard on myself, but easy on others. For I know my condition and I know my state and how low I truly am. And if we compared, I'm sure I would be a lot worse than others. Remedy number two against this device of Satan is to spend more time in comparing of your internal and external actions with the rule, with the word, by which you must be judged at last then in comparing of yourselves with those who are worse than yourselves, that man who comparing himself with others that are worse than himself may seem to himself and others to be an angel. Yet if you compare yourself with the word of God, you may see yourself to be like a devil. Yes, a very devil. John six seventy. Have not I chosen twelve, and one of you is a devil? Such men are like him, as if they were spit out of his mouth. The nearer, listen, we draw to God and his word, the more rottenness we shall find in our bones. The more any man looks into the body of the sun, the less he sees when he looks down again. It is said of an individual that if he looks into a mirror, he presently dies. So will sin and a sinner in a spiritual sense. When the soul looks into the word, which is God's mirror, sin will die. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians four four because as God at first did but speak the word and it was done, so if the devil does but hold up his finger, give him the least hint, they will obey his will, though they undo their souls forever. What monsters would these men appear to be? Did they but compare themselves with the righteous rule and not with the most unrighteous men, they would appear to be as black as hell itself. When it comes down to it, if you quit comparing yourself to these sinners in your church, these wicked individuals in your life, and even people you watch and hear about on the TV channel, You'll realize when you compare yourself to the holy, righteous word of God, you are a low, down, dirty dog. As uh, 2 Samuel with uh, Mephibosheth says, I am but a dead dog. And David says, I am but a worm. When you realize, compared to the word of God and to Christ, we are so low. We are so unworthy. And Satan wants you, Christian, listen. He wants you to compare yourself to other people and not compare yourself to Christ. And God does not want it that way. He wants you to look at yourself in comparison of the mirror of the Word of God and to resemble Christ. Remedy number three against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that though your sins are not as great as those of others, yet without sound repentance on your side and pardoning mercy on God's side, You will certainly be damned as others, though not equally tormented with others. What, though hell shall not be so hot to you as to others, yet you must certainly go to hell as others, unless the glorious grace of God shines forth upon you in the face of Christ? God will suit men's punishments to their sins. The greatest sins shall be attended with the greatest punishments, and the lesser sins with the lesser punishments. The same as in heaven, one is more glorious than the other. So in hell, one shall be more miserable than the other. What a poor comfort will this be to you when you come to die, to consider that you shall not be equally tormented with others, yet must be forever shut out of the glorious presence of God, Christ, angels, and saints, and from those good things of eternal life that are so many that they exceed number, so great that they exceed measure, so precious that they exceed estimation. Sure it is that the tears of hell are not sufficient to bewail the loss of heaven. The worm of grief gnaws as painful as the fire burns. If those souls wept because they should see Paul's face no more in Acts 20.37, how deplorable is the eternal deprivation of the beatific vision. The gate of blessedness, the gate of hope, the gate of mercy, the gate of glory, the gate of consolation, The gate of salvation will be forever shut against them. Matthew 25.10 But this is not all. You shall not only be shut out of heaven, but shut up in hell forever. Not only shut out from the presence of God and angels, but shut up with devils and damned spirits forever. Not only shut up with those sweet, surpassing, unexpressible, and everlasting pleasures that are at God's right hand, but shut up forever under those torments that are ceaseless, remedious, and endless, Oh, souls, were it not 10,000 times better for you to break off your sins by repentance than to go on in your sins until you feel the truth of what you now hear? It was a good saying of Chrysostom, speaking of hell. Here's what he said. Let us not figure out where it is, but how we shall escape it. God is very merciful. O oh, sinner. If you would return and repent, that your souls might live forever. Remember this. Grievous is the torment of the damned of for the bitterness of the punishments. But most grievous for the eternity of the punishments. For to be tormented without end, this is that which goes beyond the bounds of all desperation. Ah, how do the thoughts of this make the damned to roar and cry out for the unquietness of heart? and tear their hair, and gnash their teeth, and rage for madness that they must dwell in everlasting burnings forever. Surely one good means to escape hell is to take a turn or two in hell by our daily devotions. Device number 10. You compare yourself with others and their ways, especially those that are worse than we are. And if we're honest, I've done this actually a lot. If I'm being transparent with you, and if you're honest with yourself and with me, you'll find that we've done this time and time again throughout our lives, our Christian lives, our uh, newness of life. We have compared ourselves with others to make ourselves feel more righteous. But may we continue to compare ourselves with Christ, that we may please the Lord and not compare ourselves to men any longer as Satan would have us to do. You're listening to the BPS podcast. It is time for your favorite segment of the BPS podcast, the Christian dad joke of the episode. A minister was wondering whether there were any golf courses in heaven, and he started praying about it. One day, He received an answer directly from heaven. The messenger told him, Yes, there are many fine golf courses in heaven. The greens are in excellent condition and the weather is always perfect. Not only that, you get to play along with the nicest of people. Thank you. That is great news, replied the minister. The messenger answered, Yes, it is great news, and we have you down for a foursome next Saturday. I hope he wasn't expecting to make any plans because it seems he's going to die in the near future. I hope you've enjoyed the dad joke of the episode. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten listening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, Christmas. Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Welcome to this segment of Food for Thought, a segment where we discuss controversial topics or we just want to give you food for your thought. With Christmas happening yesterday, I'm not trying, I do want to say this frankly, I'm not trying to start contention or fights or battles. I only want you to think for yourself. With Christmas happening yesterday, as I'm growing older, I'm realizing that there are many things that we do in the Christian life that aren't necessarily biblical. And when it comes to the area of Christmas, it might not be biblical to do so either. I do want to give you some food for thought. My question to you is, should a Christian participate in Christmas? Many of you right now... Are losing your minds, and that's all right. Give me a moment to explain my question. I am not against Christmas, but I might not be for it either. Let's start off with a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who many of you love and admire. Charles Spurgeon said, those who follow the custom of observing Christmas follow not the Bible, but pagan ceremonies oh no. Are you saying that it is possible for Christmas not to be a Christian kind of holiday? Well, Charles Spurgeon would seem to say so, that it seems like he was Ebenezer Scrooge to many Christians. It's true. Charles Spurgeon had a love-hate relationship with Christmas. In the 17th century, England Christmas was often associated with moral laxity and splurging. The Puritans resisted the Roman Catholic flavor of the festivities, and so did Spurgeon. Like his predecessor, the preacher often played the Scrooge and humbugged the holiday. Quote from Charles Spurgeon, Certainly, we do not believe in the present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, because we do not believe in the Mass at all, but we abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or English, and secondly, because we find no scriptural warrant, whatever, for observing any days as the birthday of the Savior, and consequently its observance is a superstition, because it is not of divine authority. Many would not consider They had kept Christmas in a proper manner if they did not verge on gluttony and drunkenness. If there be any day in the year of which we may be pretty sure that it was not the day on which the Savior was born, it is the 25th of December. But don't get all uptight on me yet, Christian. Spurgeon also loved Christmas. He preached at least 12 sermons on Christmas. He says, I wish there were but 20 Christmas days in the year. When Spurgeon's grandfather was a boy, Christmas had fallen out of fashion among low church traditions. However, as a child in the 1840s, Charles saw a total revitalization of the holiday in his nation. Spurgeon was nine years old when Charles Dickens published A Christmas Carol. A story highlighting the struggles of the working class and put a premium on generosity and selflessness. Spurgeon loved this best telling story and even purchased a copy to include in his personal library. Spurgeon and Dickens both understood the difficulties of their day and worked hard to help the marginalized. They both also shared an intimate knowledge of London's poverty stricken Southwark. In fact, Dickens' father was imprisoned only a few blocks from where Spurgeon's New Park Street Chapel stood, and not far from Shakespeare's Globe Theater. When Spurgeon was 14 years old, Queen Victoria and her German husband, Albert, brought new life to Christmas. In 1848, the illustrated London News published a picture of the royal family gathered around a Christmas tree. When he moved to London in 1854, Spurgeon's puritanical... Reservations about Christmas were confronted with a new emphasis, the importance of family. Spurgeon says this, Though I have no respect to the religious observance of the day, yet I love it as a family institution. God forbid I should be such a Puritan as to proclaim the annihilation of any day of rest which falls to the lot of the laboring man. I wish there were at least a half a dozen holidays in the year. Throughout Spurgeon's adulthood, the celebration of Christmas, like England itself, evolved. Newly laid railroads allowed Victorians to travel home for the holiday. Toys, once handmade, could now be mass-produced. Because of the penny post, Christmas cards could be mailed cheaply. The Victorians loved their turkeys. Butchers often hung the birds outside their shops throughout the last few weeks of December. Local markets even allowed customers to deposit money throughout the year into a personal Christmas Fund. Spurgeon participated in holiday festivities and celebrated Christmas Day with the children at his orphanage. He even dressed up like Santa Claus and personally distributed Christmas gifts to his orphans. But most of all, Spurgeon leveraged for the holiday for the gospel. He saw Christmas as an opportunity to tell an old story about the grandest light in history a light that dawned only decades before the sun first shone on the new fort of Londondom in A.D. 43. Here are a few thoughts to remember as you, like Spurgeon, celebrate Christmas. We must remember the miracle of Christmas, as Spurgeon would have us to remember. Remember the message of Christmas. Remember the meaning of Christmas. And remember the mission of Christmas and the ministry of Christmas. And he preached the salvation message of Christ on christmas but my question to you is christmas has become a holiday for the pagans for the world why is it that the most wicked of man who hates god rejects saints and denies christ can love christmas so vast do we believe that god is truly honored with our indulgences with our pleasures of the flesh with our money our items, our gifts? Is this really what we should be concerned with? Now, you need to make a decision for yourself. Now, in America, we've always taught that Christmas is a must-have, that it is ungodly not to celebrate Christmas. Well, if you're a Christian who does not celebrate Christmas, that's okay, because it's not biblical to do so. God never told us to remember the day. God never told us to celebrate it. Now, is it wrong that we celebrate the birth of Christ? No. Is what Christmas has turned into acceptable and holy and right before God? No. You need to decide for yourself where Christmas will stand in your life. Christmas today has taken a vast turn. It was not started by Christians. It was not kept by Christians. And as we continue on in the United States of America, I'm almost positive It will not be for Christians in the future. Do you think that we ought to support and be a part of Christmas? I'm not saying I'm against it, and I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm just challenging you to think for once in your life about what we've done all these years with no care in the world. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bearing Precious Seed podcast. I hope and pray that you have a great new year, that 2021 is better for you than 2020 was, and may you grow in the knowledge and the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and continue to work, for the night is coming. Happy New Year.